0: Thank you, may be seated this morning. Thank you, uh, worship team, for leading us in worship through music this morning. And uh, are you thankful for Jesus Christ this morning? You can do better than that. Are you thankful for Jesus Christ this morning? Amen. Amen. Yeah, give give Jesus a hand. That is, thank you guys for leading us this morning. If, If you can't get excited in church, then, well, I don't know what to say about you. Uh, my mom said not to say anything mean if I can't say anything nice, so I'll just be quiet. God is worthy of our praise, isn't he? God is worthy of our praise, isn't he? I'm going I'm to get you guys to wake up somehow, some way, right? I know we're just in a really worshipful mood, and I'm kind of changing in transition, but I just want to say uh, thank you to Ben and the rest of the team for leading us uh, to, to sing Jesus Christ-oriented worship. The purpose of us worshiping together through song is to point praise and glory to Jesus Christ. And I appreciate Christ-centered worship. And we're going to get into the Bible this morning. And so I'm thankful for a church that's committed to preach the Bible. Right. So open up your Bible to 1 Peter. We're going to get there in a moment. And we're starting a new series this week. As you're turning there, again, I want to reiterate what Nathan has already said, that pray for our Uh, teachers and leaders who are going to be leading Bible school this week and pray that God would work in those tender young hearts who are uh, open to hear the gospel this week. And if if your kids are coming to to Vacation Bible School, let me encourage you to to, uh, have some great conversations as you drive home after Bible school and and figure out what they're learning. Uh, They're going to be presented the gospel and uh, so we pray that God will speak into their hearts the Bible talks about uh, we cannot come to Christ unless we come as a little child and have childlike faith. And so pray for that. Also, I want to ask you to pray for uh, Pastor Haley and uh, my daughter Blair. They, are, they should be landing right about now. I, I mean, I could get my app out and see if they landed, but I won't do that. Uh, they, they got s- not stuck or stranded, but they, they got to spend an extra two days in Guatemala as they were supposed to be home on Friday, and their flight got canceled and uh, so they flew home this morning, but I've had a great time in ministry there uh, with, working with MANA. And uh, so appreciate all of you who support MANA every week. And uh, it was awesome uh, to kind of follow them on Facebook the last seven or eight days and see what God is doing there. And I'm very thankful for a church who loves missions and is, is, has a mindset of giving the gospel to anyone and everyone. And this morning we're going to start this series in 1 Peter, and so I want to give you a little bit of background. There's going to be three words, and, and three words are on the screen right there, that are kind of going to direct, you're going to continue to see these three words over and over as we walk through this letter that Peter wrote, that hope, trust. And endure. Hope, trust, and endure. And so uh, during this period of time, most scholars would say between 62 and 64 A.D. was when this letter was written. Peter wrote the letter. At the end of the letter, you'll see uh, the name Sylvanius mentioned, and it's possible that Sylvanius is the one that actually penned the letter, but but he had played a role as Peter was the author of this book. And it was during the period of time when Nero was the leader of Rome. And if you know much about history, you know that Nero was not a good Guy, And so Peter is writing this letter, and you'll see it in the very first verse in a moment when we read it. He's writing the letter to those who have been scattered, the, the believers who've been scattered because of persecution. And Nero was uh, a bad guy, right? So Nero uh, had his own mom killed because she didn't agree with his lifestyle. Uh, then after his wife passed, he married uh, uh, one of his male servants. And then he... Um, did not treat his male servant very well because his male servant apparently looked like his wife. And uh, I mean, all kinds of things, right? And so then uh, he also burned Rome down. He's the one that burned Rome. And, and some historians would say that, that he walked around playing the fiddle as Rome burns. And, and so he also, after burning Rome, blamed the Christians, he blamed the followers of Jesus Christ, and the reason that he blamed them was so that he could persecute them. And so Peter is writing this letter under that context. So if you've not seen the movie, and I believe it's out for you to rent uh, or to purchase, the, uh, Paul the Apostle, if you haven't watched that movie, I'd encourage you to get that movie, rent it, and watch that movie. It'll give you a background and really a context of when First Peter was written. And, and what it depicts even in the movie and what, what history tells us is that Nero would even have dipped the Christians into wax, placed them on pedestals in the street, and lit them on fire at night in order to light the way for the Romans. So this was a really bad guy, right? And he hated the Christians. And so this is the context in which Peter is writing uh, this book, All right. So in, this, in your bulletin, and I want to encourage you to get your bulletin and, and uh, take some notes, uh, there's going to be a lot of information you can look up later. But in this bulletin, you're going to see three goals uh, that, that Peter really had and accomplishes in writing this letter, 1 Peter. Three things, right? So number one here on your outline is inform believers of their living hope. Right? To inform them of hope. So again, you're going to see that word hope. And over and over again, you're going to see that listed as Peter is writing to these scattered believers to give them hope. The second one was to exhort believers to trust God in difficulties. And and isn't that hard sometimes to do, to really trust God when, when things aren't going well? It seems easier to say God is good when things are going good. It seems not so easy to say God is good when things aren't good, right? And so we have to understand that in the good times and the bad times, God is still in control and God is still good and God is always working things out for his glory and eventually for our good, right? In Romans 8:28. So ex- he wants to inform the believers of living hope. He wanted to exhort them to trust in God in difficulties. And the third here on your outline is challenge believers to endure through faith. So you see those those three words, hope, trust and endure. In fact, in, in the very first chapter of 1 Peter, verse 7, let me read it for you real quick. Peter says that the genuineness of your faith, being much more precious than gold than perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to the praise, honor, and glory at the revelation of Jesus Christ. And we're going to talk a little more about that last week, but it's about that enduring faith. Faith that endures. Faith that Last. Now, Peter, the author here, is one of the disciples. He has a brother named Andrew who's also a disciple. And Peter is the guy, right? So Peter's the guy, if you remember, up in the upper room when Jesus was kind of giving his final instructions and he told the disciples, uh, you know, it's the painting of the Last Supper, and he tells the disciples during that dinner that they are going to be scattered like sheep because of Jesus, because of what about is about to happen. And remember what Peter said in front of all the disciples? Not me. I mean, here's just some real good information just for your sake. If if God tells you something, probably don't want to disagree with God. Okay, so Jesus tells him, you're going to be scattered like sheep without a shepherd. He argues with Jesus, not me. He even goes a little step farther as to throw the other disciples under the bus, right? And Peter says, even if all of these who are here at the table with us, even if they decide, you know, because I could see that they might mess up and they might desert you, even if they do, Jesus, I would be willing to die for you. Did... Jesus' words come true, or did Peter's words come true, right? So just hours after Peter claims, I will die for you, even if all the other disciples desert you, they come and they, get, they arrest Jesus, and what do all the disciples do? They desert him. And what does Peter do? Peter not only doesn't stand up for Christ, he actually doesn't have enough boldness to stand up to a little girl by a campfire. And he curses out Jesus. I don't know who that is, and he denies, and, and you know the story, right? Well, then in John chapter 21, after Jesus dies, he's placed into the tomb. And as we sing about this morning, he comes back to life. After the resurrection, in John chapter 21, Peter and Jesus have a conversation. And three times, Jesus asks Peter, do you love me? And three times Peter says, Yes, Lord, you know I love you. And we see the restoration of Peter that and so this Peter, the one that denied Christ, and to the little girl by the campfire, didn't have any kind of boldness, he's the one that writes the letter to now the Christians who are be persecuted by Nero, who later Peter would also be martyred under the authority of Nero. What changed in this man's life? What gave him the boldness to speak and to encourage, even though he's the man that didn't have enough boldness or courage to stand up to this little girl? And what the, the life of Peter and all throughout the scriptures you're going to see, there's three things, three truths that, that, that I want you to hold on to that are in the bulletin here this morning, three lessons we can learn from Peter's life. And the truth is we could spend an entire Sunday on each one of these, but look, we're just going to highlight them and I hope they'll speak into your life this week. Number one, failure in the past does not nullify purpose in the future. Failure in the past does not nullify purpose in the future. What what does that mean? And and the truth is, there's some of you in here this morning I know that feel like you're unworthy to be used of God because you have a past. You've made some mistakes. And what Peter's life tells us and all throughout Scripture tells us is that just because you've messed up doesn't mean God can't use you. Aren't you thankful God gives us second chances? For some of us, I'm thankful God gives us like three and four chances, right? Do you realize that Samson in the Old Testament, he did more for the cause of God and the purpose of God in his life after his big sin than before his big sin? Just because we mess up doesn't mean God can't use us. And I'm thankful for the grace of God in my life. I'm thankful that when I mess up, and John says if, we're, if we will confess, God is faithful and just to forgive us and, and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And, and God gives us second chances, and that's the story of Peter. The second point here is a broken heart is a great preparation for helping the hurting. Rick Warren says it this way, that, that God never wastes a hurt. And the truth is, some of you in this morning have experienced way more hurt and brokenness than I ever have or probably ever will. God wants to use that brokenness and God wants to use that hurt to speak into someone else's life. You know, I remember how this illustrated for me very vividly in my life is that uh, for you know, for many years, God allowed me to be uh, the youth pastor here at Hallmark, and, and I was doing it at the high school at one point, and, and Ryan Whitley was doing the junior high ministry at that point, and Ryan had a, a completely different story growing up than I did. And, and Many of you know Ryan's story, but Ryan's story is that, that uh, he was raised by his grandparents, never knew his dad. In fact, most of his life, he didn't think that his dad was alive. Um, his mom died of a drug overdose when he was really young, and that was... His story. And for many years, that story just um, kind of ate him up from the inside out, right? But then I watched as he allowed God to use his story and over and over and over again in youth ministry when kids who I could not identify with, but Ryan could. And he would tell them his story and God would use his story to bring healing into someone else's story. God doesn't want us to waste our story. God can use your story, whatever that might be. God can use your brokenness, whatever that might be, for His glory and for your good. The third one is in your bulletin, a single note of hope is better than a thousand thoughts never expressed. So let me just encourage you this morning. If God puts somebody on your heart this week, don't just pray for them. You need to pray for them if God puts them on your heart. But contact them. Maybe that's sending them a note, you know, the old-fashioned way where you have to put a stamp on it. You guys still know what stamps are, right? Maybe you, you hand-write a note and send them a letter. Maybe it's a text. Maybe it's an email. Maybe it's a Snapchat. Maybe it's, you know, whatever, whatever way you can communicate. Send a note to someone and encourage them. That's what Peter did here. So Peter writes this letter of encouragement to the, the persecuted scattered Christians. So let's begin reading. 1 Peter chapter 1 we're going to read the first two verses. Peter an apostle of Jesus Christ to the pilgrims of the dispersion in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia and Bithynia. Again, so these are believers who have been scattered because of persecution, this letter is going to not just stop and go to one, line, one location. It's going to travel, right? So the letter is going to continue to go to all these locations. Verse number 2. Elect, or some translations would say chosen according to the foreknowledge of God, the Father, and sanctification of the Spirit, for obedience and sprinkling of the blood of Jesus Christ. Grace to you and peace be multitude. Multiplied And so in this, these two verses just of greeting, hey, it's a letter from Peter. There's all kinds of theology in this, these two quick verses. Like we could spend probably the rest of the year just talking about this verse. But, you know, for sake of time, we probably won't do that. But we think about this um, word, chosen. What comes to your mind when you, when you hear the word chosen, I wonder, is it, you, anybody have the scars of early childhood out at PE when they had the two captains and they pick up the lines and they start picking people, right, and some of you in here, you, you were like the first picked always, right, how many of you are, you know, let's be a little braggy here, how many of you were the first round draft picked every time, all right, you guys got picked first, Okay. And, and how many of you, we won't make you, so the, the rest of us, maybe not so much. Now, I was, I was blessed because um, you always need two captains, right, if you're going to have teams, and you always want to have, uh, at least growing up for me, you always want to have fair captains, right, because if one captain's really good at the sport and one is not so good, then the team, it's never going to work, right? You can't have a first round draft pick picking and a last round draft pick picking. It's just not going to work. So, I have a twin brother, so me and my brother were always, almost always, the captains, and we got to pick. And I remember as a, a young kid always coming to the last two people and always having, you know, I, I'll be honest, my spiritual gift is the gift of encouragement. And, and I'm not trying to brag or anything, but I really always, when I picked that last person, I always tried to make it as special moment as I could. Oh, great, we get Jimmy. Thank you, Jimmy. Awesome, Jimmy's on our team. I can't, I'm so glad Jimmy's on our team. And I'm like, ah, oh, I wish Jimmy wasn't on my team. <laughs> right? And so some of you have those scars, right? The Lord prevented me from having those scars. But maybe, maybe you weren't chosen for that job you were after. Or maybe you weren't chosen to go to prom, right? Let I me mean, think about... You weren't chosen for the promotion or for marriage. It's a lot deeper than just about being chosen on the schoolyard, right? But when we look at this text and we see that, that the Scripture teaches us here that God chose you. Do you realize that all the other times you weren't chosen don't matter anymore. If we come to the understanding, the realization that God chose me, He picked me. He wanted me on His team. Am am I good enough to be on God's team? You can answer honestly, yes or no. Are you good enough to be on God's team? You guys were were really kind not answering. You're kind of like scared. I'll, I'll, I'll give you another chance. Am I good enough to be on God's team? No. Why why did God choose Abraham in the Old Testament? Was it because Abraham was following him? Mm -mm. You know who Abraham was worshiping when God chose him? The God of the moon, like everybody else. And when when I realized the understanding, this scripture, this verse, verse 2, it talks about God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, and that all three were involved in my salvation. That's amazing that God chose me, that Jesus saved me. He died for me, and the Holy Spirit sanctifies me and seals me. That that reminds me, turn to Ephesians chapter 1, all right? This is not just an isolated text of Scripture that we talk about the fact that God, the creator of the universe, chose me and so all other reasons and all other hurts and all other pains and all their sorrows and all those other burdens and problems that it really don't matter when I come to the realization to understand that God loves me and God sent his son to die for me and God chose me to be on his team Ephesians chapter 1 look in verse number 3 blessed be the God and the father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in heavenly places in Christ our blessing is in Christ, verse 4, just as he chose us in Christ before the foundation of the world that we should be holy and without blame before him in love, having predestined us to adoption as sons by Jesus Christ himself, according to the good pleasure of his will. Do you see that beautiful picture given in verse number 5? That we are as believers of Christ, and Peter's writing this to believers, saying, You've been chosen by God, and then Paul would say here the words, You have been adopted into God's family. That God chose you. Again, let's be completely honest this morning. It's not because you're so great. It's not because I'm great. It's God's grace in my life that I got to be picked on His team. I'm thankful for that. It says, according to His pleasure and His will. It was God-ordained, verse number 6, to the praise of the glory of His grace. So again, it's because of His grace and and I'm chosen because of His grace by which He made me accepted in the beloved. How did He make me accepted? Verse number 7, in Him we have redemption. In Christ we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of sins. According to the riches of his grace, so again we see the same thing that, that Peter says quickly in two verses, and, and, and really in one verse, in first Peter, verse number two, and, and we see this, Paul expounds a little bit that God has chosen me. Jesus has saved me in him in Christ. Verse seven, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins, according to the riches of his grace, verse number eight, which he made to abound toward us in all wisdom and prudence, having made known to us the mystery of His will, according to the good pleasure. Which he purposed in himself, that in this dispensation, the fullness of times, he might gather together in all things in Christ, both which are in heaven, which are on earth, in him, in Christ. Verse 11. In him also we have obtained an inheritance. You might underline that word. We're going to get to that in a minute. Being predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will. Again, Referencing the sovereignty and the control of God. Verse 12, that we who first trusted in Christ should be to the praise of His glory. In Him you also trusted after you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also, having believed, you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. There's some important theology in verse number 13 there. So I think the Bible is very clear on the fact that God chose me to be saved. I think it's very clear that the Scripture teaches me that Jesus died to pay the penalty of my sin debt. And then I think it's very clear in this verse that there's some responsibility I have to accept the calling on God in my life. Look what it says in verse 13. It's right here on the screen. In Him you've also trusted. You see the responsibility on my part? I've got to trust that God picked me. i got to trust that God sent his Son to die on the cross for my sins. After you heard the word of what? Truth. After you heard God's word, whoever calls upon the name of the Lord shall be what? Saved. After you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in him will also you having what? There's another action word there. In order to have salvation, I got to trust and I got to believe. Trust that God sent his son to die for me. Believe that Jesus died, was buried, and rose again. When I think about the creator of the universe wants me on his team, all the other issues and problems and worries I have, they don't really matter anymore, do they? And Peter is writing this letter to the believers saying, listen, life is difficult, life is hard, persecution is not fun, but know who you are in Christ. Know that you're on God's team, know that you've given your life to Jesus Christ. Again, he's writing to believers, and so my encouragement to you this morning is very simple. If you've never given your life to Jesus Christ, if you've never trusted and believed in the gospel, you can read again in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, the first five verses talk about when we place our faith in the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ. What is the gospel? It is that Jesus died on the cross to pay the penalty of my sins, that he was buried, placed in the tomb, and that he came back to life. That's the good news of the gospel, that Jesus is alive. And if I place my faith in the gospel, in the good news, and I trust that Jesus is who he says he is, then I can be on God's team. Do you want to be on God's team? Then what does the scripture clearly say you need to do? Trust and believe. So the question for you in here this morning is, I'm not asking about your church attendance. I'm asking you this morning, have you ever trusted and believed? Because Romans 10, 13 is also very clear. Whoever, can you say whoever with me? Who does whoever mean? Whoever, right? Could mean you personally. Whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be what? Saved. Have you trusted and believed that Jesus died to take your place and that he came back to life and is now sitting at the right hand of the Father? And, and so Peter is saying, if you've believed, and I'm writing this, I'm with my understanding that I'm writing to the church that all believers, God has chosen you. And what does that mean for us? What, what does it mean that God has chosen? me. What does what that, moving forward, what does that mean? What, what does it mean that at the age of 17, I finally acknowledged my need for Jesus Christ, and I finally went, and, and I woke up my youth pastor at 2 o'clock in the morning, and I said, Steve, I need to give my life to Jesus Christ. I need to trust, and I need to believe, and I want to do it right now, and he's like, I really want to sleep, but he he went through the scriptures again with me and said, you know, John, this, you understand, you know, you've grown up in church. If you, if you want to right now place your faith and your trust in Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of sins, for salvation, for eternal home in heaven, right now is the time to do it. And at 2 o'clock in the morning in Brownwood, Texas, at the age of 17, I placed my trust and my belief in Jesus Christ. And because of that, look at the next few verses. Read with me, follow along in First Peter. Let me get back to First Peter chapter 1, verses 3, and 3, 4, and 5. Blessed be the God of the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to His abundant mercy has begotten us or given us new life to a living hope through the res- resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled and that does not fade away, reserved in heaven for you. Verse 5, who are kept by the power of God through faith. For salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. So Peter, writing to the persecuted Christian, says, listen, as believers, you belong to Christ. You've been chosen. And with that comes three things this morning on your outline that will bring hope. Number one is this. You've been given a living hope. Living hope. What does verse 3 there say? Blessed be the God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to His abundant mercy has begotten us again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. The song we just sang about, that, that Jesus proved that He had power over death, sin, hell, and the grave, when was that all proven? It was all proven at the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Turn there, First Corinthians chapter 15. 1 Corinthians 15. I mentioned 1 Corinthians 15 already, but the first few verses of 1 Corinthians 15 mention the gospel. And if you believe in the gospel, you can have salvation. And so Paul begins to argue his own point. So he talks about if you believe in the gospel and you believe in the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ, you can have salvation. And there's hope in that. And so Peter would say, as he said to those Christians, there's a living hope. The living hope is in Jesus Christ. My hope, I'll piggyback on what, what David, Pastor David, said last week. My hope is not in the president. My hope is not in America. My hope is in Jesus Christ. Has, has God using. The United States to share the gospel all over the world, yes, and for that I'm thankful. I will be bold enough to say the only reason I believe that God has not judged America is because we are still the greatest missionary sending agency and because we stand with Israel. If we stop doing those two things, guess what? It's over, isn't it? So who is my hope in? My hope is in Jesus Christ. And that's what Peter is saying. We have a living hope. And then Paul makes this argument. If you place your faith in the death, burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ, we have hope. Verse 12 of 1 Corinthians 15. Now if Christ is preached that he has been raised from the dead, how do some among you say there is no resurrection of the dead? In other words, Jesus told us there's a resurrection. We saw Jesus alive. Then why are you saying there is no resurrection verse 13? But if there is no resurrection of the dead, no resurrection of the dead, then Christ is not risen. So Paul's saying if there's not life after death, then Jesus can't be alive. Do you understand what he's saying here? So some people are saying there is no life after death. And Paul is saying if that's true, then Jesus is not alive. There was no resurrection. Verse 14. And if Christ is not risen, then our preaching is empty and your faith is also empty. In other words, this morning for us today, if we don't believe that Jesus is alive, there is absolutely no point in us being here. If you don't believe that Jesus Christ is the living hope who has come back to life as he said he would, then this is pointless. It's worthless, it's in vain. Let's look at the next verse, or the continuation of that verse. Let me see here. Turn two pages, verse 15. Yes, and we are found false witnesses of God. If if there is no resurrection, if Jesus is not alive, then me preaching this message, what Paul is saying is that I'm a liar. Because we have testified of God that he raised up Christ, whom he did not raise up. In fact, the dead did not rise. Verse 16. For if the dead did not rise, then Christ is not risen. That makes sense, right? And if Christ is not risen, your faith is futile. You are still in your sins. Do you see that? If Jesus is still in the tomb, then my sins are still not been met. They have not been paid for. Verse 17. And if Christ is not risen, your faith is futile. You are still in your sins, verse 18, then also those who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. In other words, we don't have any hope living and we don't have any hope for those who have already died. If Jesus isn't alive and there is no resurrection, then we, what does scripture talk about that? We, we eat, we sleep, we die. Life would be pretty meaningless if there wasn't life after death. What's, what's the point? Gather what you can and take advantage of anyone you can. Verse 19, if in this life only we have hope in Christ, we are of all men most pitiful. But look at verse number 20. But now Christ. Everybody look at the screen for a moment. And I want you to, to read this first part with me till we get to the comma, All right. On the count of three, ready? One, two, three. But now Christ is risen from the dead. That's powerful, isn't it? So when Paul makes this argument, if Christ isn't alive, then our hope and our faith is meaningless. So what's the counter-argument to that? If he is alive, then there is hope, and our faith is Meaningful. And so what does he end his argument by saying, fooled you, Christ is alive. Can I get an amen to that? Amen. And because he is alive, we do have a living hope. We have Jesus Christ in us, the power of the resurrection in us. And so all of these problems we face, all these issues you walked in the room with this morning, God is bigger than your problems. God is bigger than your fears. God is bigger than your anxiety. God is bigger, what Peter is saying, is God is bigger than the persecution. Amen. Do you believe that? And we should live and walk from victory. We all win. You realize that? If you're on God's team, you win. So a living hope. Number two. A permanent inheritance. A permanent inheritance. Look at verse number uh, 4, First Peter, we're back in First Peter. Let's read 3 again because it, it just flows right into 4. First Peter 1, verse 3, Blessed be the God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to His abundant mercy has begotten us again or given us new life to a living hope. What's the hope in? Through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. That's where our hope is. It's in a living Jesus. Verse number 4, He's brought us to what? An inheritance, incorruptible, undefiled that never fades away, reserved in heaven for you. My, my dad's not here, so I could talk about it for a moment. My mom's here. She's the best mom ever, and she had to put up with my dad all those years. I hope my dad leaves me an inheritance. Can I just say that out loud, proud? How many of you hope your parents will leave you an inheritance? How many of your parents did leave you an inheritance, right? And I mean, I, I, if you see my dad tell him, the Bible says a godly man leaves an inheritance for his children and grandchildren, right? It, it's in Proverbs, trust me. Does it compare to the inheritance that God has left for me? There's a man in, in Bolivia, he was 67 years age, 67 years of age, and he uh, lived in poverty, and he was an alcoholic and a... And a druggie, and so he would stand on the street corner every day, and he would beg for enough money to go into the bar to get enough alcohol. And if if he didn't get enough money collected that day to to get his fix, then he would write hot checks in the bar. And so everyone kind of knew him as this person. One day, the police came in looking for him. And at the age of 67, knowing his history, he sees them, hears they're looking for him, He goes out the back door, never to be seen again. And the reason they came in the bar that day looking for him was that someone had left him a $6 million inheritance. He had been married 40 years prior to this and and had been estranged from his wife. They never got divorced. After he left, she inherited all this money. She has now died, and she left $6 million to her husband. Joy, that would be great. Six million would be great. <laughs> and he ran, listen, he ran away from the inheritance because he didn't understand what they were bringing him. And I think some of us and maybe some of you in the room this morning, what I want you to know is God has, God has an inheritance prepared for you. He sent His Son, Jesus, to die on the cross to pay the penalty of your sin debt so that you could have this inheritance. And I think some of you in the room this morning are worried about what God's expecting of you. And He's just saying, I love you. I sent my Son to die for you. It's not about what I want from you. It's about what I can give to you. Some of you this morning need to not be like this man and run out the back door today. This morning, God is calling you to salvation. God is saying to you, I chose you for my team. I sent my son to die in your place, and I want to give you this inheritance, an eternal inheritance that will never fade, that will not perish, that's incorruptible. A home in heaven. God's not asking something from you. God's already given everything to you. You simply need to trust And believe. Number three, a living hope, permanent inheritance, and number three, divine protection. Look at verse number five. Again, so we talked about a living hope, our eternal inheritance. Verse number five, who are kept by the power of God through faith for salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. We read in, in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 14, that as believers, the Holy Spirit seals us until the day of redemption. And so what, this, what, what Ephesians is saying and also what Peter is saying here in 1 Peter is that, that I can't earn my salvation, it's a gift of God. For by grace you're saved through faith, not of works, it's a gift of God, lest any man should boast. Aren't you glad you don't have to earn salvation? Did you also realize that because it's a gift and you can't earn it, it's also a gift and you can't keep it. You can't do anything to keep it. I'm glad that my salvation was not based on me, and I'm glad my salvation is not kept on me. Because I mess up. Can you get an amen for that? But who keeps my salvation? Who protects me? God. Holy Spirit came in my life on June the 6th 1991 when I surrendered and I trusted and I believed and he will never leave me and even though I mess up the Holy Spirit is a sign that I belong and I've been adopted by the creator of the universe I'm on his team and I have an inheritance that no one can take away And I, as a believer, Peter is saying, listen, remember, he's writing to these believers who are under severe persecution. Peter, soon after this, is going to be martyred for his faith. And Peter is saying, listen, nothing is going to happen in your life apart from God's will in your life. Another verse of Scripture, or another translation, excuse me, instead of saying we are kept by the power of God is we are shielded. Oh, we are guarded. The truth is, God is in control, and God is good. Aren't you thankful for that? So no matter what you're facing right now, God is in control, and God is good. You guys ever uh, Googled uh, the most secure places in the world? Anybody ever Googled that? There's some weird things that come up. But how many of you know about Fort Knox? Right? So, Fort Knox, it, where, where is Fort Knox at? All right, just seeing if you actually knew. You raise your hand, but okay. Fort Knox, Kentucky. There's 5,000 tons of gold stored at Fort Knox. How many would you like a little bit of that gold, right? 5,000 tons of gold. And they say one of the most protected things in the world is this gold at Fort Knox. That it, There's a 22-ton vault door that this gold is behind. And it takes 10 different people with 10 different codes to enter into this 22-ton door in order to get into that vault. There's also obviously security all over, there's tanks all over, and then there's an Apache helicopter flying over. What Google would say, the most heavily guarded treasure in the world. But I I think they may be wrong. Let, Let me show you the next picture, which is the most guarded, heavily guarded thing in the world. It's not, okay, so it's not Hallmark, I'm not particularly Hallmark, right? It's believers. The church. What Peter is saying is, listen, I know you're going under persecution. I know life is hard. And I know it's difficult. But God is in control. And God knows. And God is good. So whatever problem you walked in this morning with, God already knows about it. Not only does he know about it, but he cares about it. And not only does he care about it, he's big enough to do something about it. And ultimately, whatever we face as believers, we have to rest and we have to trust. We have to realize God is in control and God is good. This morning you may have walked in here with heavy burdens and heavy, a heavy heart. And I just want you to understand God sees you today. God loves you just as much in the good times as the bad times. If you ever doubt the love of God in your life, turn to John chapter 3 and verse 16. For God so loved the world, He gave His only Son. For you, God loves you. Later in in Peter, Peter's going to say, cast all your worries, your cares, your anxieties upon God because He cares for you. Think about that for a moment. The creator who spoke the worlds into existence. He knows what you're facing right now. Maybe you walked in here this morning and and you're not sure that you're on God's team. And I'm telling you this morning that, that God is wanting to pick you for his team. Trust and believe. It's very simple. The Bible teaches us that our sin separates us from a holy, righteous God. And because of our sin, our punishment is that we're going to spend an eternity in a place called hell. But God loved us so much that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And he sent Jesus to die on the cross to pay the penalty of our sin debt. And as we've sung about and as we've read about, Jesus came back to life. And because Jesus came back to life, then our sins can be forgiven. We can have an eternal inheritance in heaven. We can have Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. But you have to trust and you have to believe. I want to ask you to close your eyes for a moment this morning. We're going to continue the service in a time of worship and, and sing an old, really familiar song, but... It's a time for us to maybe process what we've heard. We've gone through a lot of Scripture, but I believe God is speaking directly to some of you in the room this morning. And I believe that some of you in the room this morning need to acknowledge that you're not on God's team and that God is wanting to choose you for His team. And and it's time for you to do that now. It's time for you to make that decision that I'm going to trust and I'm going to believe and I'm going to place my faith in Jesus Christ, that He is my living hope, that He is my eternal inheritance, that He is the one who guides and protects me. So real quietly this morning, as our eyes are closed, would anyone be honest enough and have enough courage to say this morning, John, that's me. I want to be on Jesus' team, and, and, and I'm not. I, I, I think God is choosing me right now, right in this moment. I feel God speaking to me saying, I choose you. If that's you this morning, as our eyes are closed, and I just want to pray for you, but I, I think it's important for you to acknowledge what God is doing in your life right now. If that's you, would you just put your hand up for a moment? I'm the only one looking around. Just put your hand up for a moment. Leave it up for a moment as I I look across the audience this morning. Anyone that would say, John, God is choosing me right now. I want to be on his team. Just put your hand up right now. Thank you. Thank you. There's two of you this morning. Anyone else? Just put your hand up. Leave it up for a moment. If you can, put it up high. I, I can see that this morning. Here's what you need to do right where you're at. You need to call out to Jesus. Here's what you need to tell Jesus in your own words. It's just you talking to God. God, I know I'm a sinner. I know you sent Jesus to die in my place. I believe that Jesus came back to life. And I believe you love me. I believe you can forgive me. I place my faith in Jesus. If you spoke those words to God this morning, I would love to celebrate that with you. If you prayed that prayer this morning in the quietness of this room and you'd like me to know about it, you would like to acknowledge that this morning, would you again put your hand up? Just put your hand up right where you're at. Just put it up. Maybe you didn't raise your hand earlier. Maybe you did. But you're raising your hand right now to say, I prayed that prayer and I gave my life to Christ. Right now, just put your hand up. For the rest of us this morning, let's use this next few minutes of worship just to cry out to God. The words of this song are pretty simple. It says that he's softly, tenderly calling you that's stirring in your heart right now that's the Lord speaking to you through the Holy Spirit and through the power of His word and I would would just encourage you this morning whatever God is dealing in your life with say yes to Him if you'd like to pray this morning in a moment we're going to stand, we're going to have leaders who are down here, they're going to be facing you, if you'd like to pray with them, they would love to pray with you If you want to just pray by yourself and spend some alone time with God, you're welcome to come forward and do that. But if you'd like for us to pray with you, just walk up, shake someone's hand and say, would you pray with me? God, we thank you for this day. Lord, we thank you for Jesus. We thank you for the resurrection. Lord, we thank you for the fact that that you loved us so much that you sent Jesus to die. Lord, if there's somebody in this room that still needs to to make sure and confirm that they belong to you, that they're on your team, Lord, I pray that you'd give them the courage to talk to somebody. Maybe that's to walk forward here in a moment, whether that's after church, whether that's on the drive home. And Lord, for those this morning that have walked in with a heavy heart, Lord, allow them this morning just to, to lay it at your feet and trust, trust that you're in control. that you are good. Would you stand with me this morning as we worship? And again, it's just an opportunity for us to continue to worship through music. We have leaders down here at the front. If you'd like to pray, we would love to pray with you. But let's...